0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: My, what a great presence of the Lord is in this place. Amen? I just feel a a sweet presence of the Lord. Just a, a peaceful, calming, moving of His Spirit. I believe that In the service this morning God is touching hearts there are some people that have been hurting and worried stressed but I feel like God is moving in our midst today to calm any fears any worries any problems that you've been facing there's just such a sweet presence of the Lord here and I wonder for just another moment if we could just lift our hands and just worship the Lord let's just Let that peace sweep through here just one more time. Jesus, thank you for the peace. Thank you for the comfort. You are a comforter. You are our everlasting Father. You are the Prince of Peace. In every situation, in every trial, in every circumstance, you are the Prince of Peace. You're a way maker, God. You work miracles. You do things so great. And we praise you this morning. We thank you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Well, it's good to be back here in Hatchbin with you all. Good to be back with you. We didn't know till yesterday we'd be here, but we're happy to be here. It's good to be here. Um, we give honor this morning to your pastor, Pastor Boyd and Sister Boyd, who are, we've got youth camps coming up this week, the district youth camps, and they are hard at work at the campgrounds, and they are, they are burning in the daylight, getting ready for youth camps, and we are excited. About youth camps this, this Monday. Is anybody going to youth camps this year? Anybody? All right, we got we got a few adults going to youth camps. <laughs> I think the adults enjoy youth camps as much as the young people do. So we are excited about that, and um, it's going to be a good time. But we give honor to them, and and praying that they get the rest that they need. I told them the other day, it's it's sad. You know, we're up there working with them. I said, it's sad when you look forward to camps because that's a time of rest. It's leading up to the camps that, that is so busy. But you have a great pastor and pastor's wife, and um, and we just give honor to them this morning. It's good to be here. Um, it's good to have my wife with me, as always. So, And uh, we just, we're just we starting to feel at home here. We're starting to feel at home. If you would turn with me in the Old Testament, the book of Second Kings, chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 8 through 12, and then jump to verse number 15, and read through to 17, Second Kings chapter 6, starting with verse number 8, then the king of Syria warred against Israel, and took counsel with his servants, saying, in such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, beware that thou pass not such a place for thither the Syrians are come down and the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once or twice therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing and he called his servants and said unto them will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel and one of his servants said none my lord O king but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Verse number 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And then one more verse I'm going to read from the New Testament. You don't have to turn there. You probably know this verse, Hebrews 11, verse number 1. You can say it with me if you know it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Today I want to preach this simple thought. Lord, open our eyes that we may see. Lord, open our eyes that we may see. Would you just lift your hands with me again and let's pray that the Lord would bless this message in our hearts. God, thank you for your word, for the songs that have been sung, the praise and worship. That has gone up before you. I ask that you would anoint your word today, that you would touch our hearts and bring encouragement to your people, and we'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, everybody said, In Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. There are certain events in our history that are life changing for all of us that change our nation. And our world, I can still remember where I was on September the 11th, 2001. Does anybody remember that? I can remember listening to the news and, and watching the events unfold and seeing the footage and just being in complete shock. And at the time, um, just about to graduate high school, I thought, I'm going to get out of high school here and I'm going to be drafted because this is World War III. And I thought, this is, this is just, this is it, you know, and uh, it did change the way that we live. You know, you can't get on an airplane today without them checking all your bags and going two or three times through the, the scanner and, and, and all that stuff. And, and I worked, I used to be in banking. And they monitor bank accounts now like they never have before. Any international activity that is going through bank accounts, they monitor it very closely. And there are certain countries that you can't do business with or they will shut your business down or close your account. They just monitor these things so closely. So September the 11th was a life-changing event. And some of our young people don't remember what life was like before September 11th. But it was much different, and that's the case with COVID. Does anybody remember what life was like before 2020? Does anybody remember being able to go into a restaurant and uh, you know not have to stand six feet apart from everybody, not have to wash your hands or or you know use the hand sanitizer over and over again? My wife and I like to go to Disney. You go to Disney now, even in the 100-degree weather in the summer, you've got to wear a mask while you're walking around, unless you're sitting down eating and and drinking, because COVID recognizes when you sit down and eat and drink, and it doesn't attack anybody. So it it, it takes a break when you take a break. It's amazing how that works. And it used to be weird. It used to be strange when you saw somebody with one of these. Does anybody know what this is? A mask. This is a designer mask, an FSU mask, for all my FSU fans out there. I keep forgetting I'm in gator country. You can they have gator ones too, so you can get one of those. But these used to be weird, right? You'd see somebody walking with a mask and you go, what is wrong with them? Something, something strange. But now it's strange to see somebody without a mask. You get looked at weird and and, and people are wondering why you're putting their health at risk. You know, why you're, why you're, th- you're threatening their, their life with, without wearing a mask. But these, these have become commonplace. And I read an article recently where our, our young people, they're calling this the COVID generation. Because they said a certain age group, I can't remember what the age range was, young children, they will not remember what life was like before COVID. It's been that, that life altering. It's been that that much of a change. So it's a sad thing to think that this is this is the norm now. But what it is is we are, and and I remember in the early days of COVID, you may have heard this, but they said we are at war. They said we are at war with an invisible enemy, a microscopic enemy. Something that you can't see, something that that is there but you can't feel, something that is there but it's not tangible. But we have, as a society, learned to respect an enemy that we don't see in, in sickness, in COVID, in disease. And so we've learned to respect it. We may not see it, but we know that it's there. And you think twice. You know, we may laugh and make fun of it. But now, you think twice before touching that handle. You think twice when, when somebody's coughing like Brother Darrell Townsend just did. You think you look at somebody strange when they sneeze, right? You think things when they when they do that. You know, we're conscious of it. We don't see the microscopic germ. We don't we don't see it, but we understand and we have a respect that it's there. Paul said in the New Testament that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but there's an invisible enemy. There's principalities and powers and there's rulers of the darkness of this world there's spiritual wickedness in high places there's an invisible kingdom an enemy with a chain of command that that is very organized and is set out to uh, attack the church and your family and and prevent us from making heaven and there is also there's a darkness but there's a light there's a very real spiritual realm where where God exists and and angels exist, and and there's heavenly places. There is an invisible world out there that we don't see, but we understand exist, and we acknowledge it, and we understand that. So today, by the help of the Lord, I want to try to convince us that there is something beyond our circumstance. There's something that we see right now in the moment, and there's something that we're going through probably in our life. Situations and problems and and, and struggles and trial and stress. And that's what we can see in the moment because we're experiencing it. But there's something greater beyond that. There's something invisible. There's a, a powerful world and presence of God that is ready to help us through our trial and our circumstance. There's a miracle and there is something great just on the other side of what is right in front of us. So it's my prayer this morning that God would open our eyes to see beyond our circumstance. That we, would, that we would learn to see beyond what is just in front of us at the moment. That God would open our eyes to see the blessing, the miracle, the peace, the healing that's just in front of us. Lord, open our eyes that we may see it. That we may see it. In our opening text, the king of Syria was preparing to move against Israel. He was preparing to bring his military down and to strike Israel with all of his might and destroy them. Meanwhile, in Israel was the prophet Elisha. Elisha was a powerful prophet who knew things before they would happen. He knew things that were going on in secret. God spoke to him in a powerful way and revealed things to him. So Elisha knew and had spiritual insight that the king of Syria was moving to war against Israel. So the prophet took this information to the king of Israel. Now, he, he went far beyond just saying, Hey, king, I think that Syria is getting ready to, to attack us. I think there's some good intelligence there and that it's, that, that, that it's imminent. Elisha knew everything down to the finest of detail. Everything down to the finest of detail. He knew how many men were going to be there. He knew exactly where they would be. He knew all the weapons that they would use. He knew everything that was going to happen. And so he told the king of Israel all these things. He held nothing back. He said, this is exactly what's going to happen, so you need to be ready. When the king observed, um, when, when the king observed Israel's obvious preparedness, the king of Syria... When he saw that Israel was well prepared and well warned, this was a cause for concern. He began to wonder if there was a spy in his camp. You ever, you know, you watch the news and, you know, an unnamed source from the White House is saying, dot, dot, dot. You know, there's all these leaks that happen and the reporters get a hold of it and they, they write the news and they somehow know what's going on behind the closed doors. Well, the king of Syria was experiencing this because he had planned and strategized to wipe out Israel. And somehow, Israel knew everything that was going to happen. Was there a spy in his camp? Was somebody betraying him? Who was feeding the nation of Israel this vital information and intelligence? So he began to question his servants. Are you betraying me? Are you telling the secrets? Who in my company can I not trust? But it was told to the king of Syria, it was explained to him, that there is no spy in the camp. There's nobody here that's betraying you. There's nobody that's taking these secrets behind closed doors and giving them away. But there is, however, they told the king, there's a prophet in Israel. There is a man named Elisha. And the Bible says Elisha knew everything he had spoken concerning this battle and was feeding the king this information. The king of Syria was furious. He was angry and desired then to find and capture the prophet Elisha. He had to put an end to this if his military campaigns were going to be successful. So he said, point me in the direction of Elisha. And it was told to him that the prophet was in a place called Dothan, not Dothan, Alabama, if you're familiar with that, but Dothan over there in the Middle East somewhere. He was in Dothan. The prophet was dwelling there. So the king gathered together. The Bible says a great and mighty host of horses and chariots, armored men, swords, spears, shields. He was going all out to take out this one guy. If you think about our military, when, you know, if you ever looked at how they went and took out Osama bin Laden? They go in in the dead of night. They take all the helicopters and the special forces and they're going to get one guy, but they're, pre- they're prepared for everything. So the king of Syria was doing the same. He said, we're going to go get the prophet Elisha. I've got to have my, my secrets. I've got to guard what's around me. And if, if he somehow knows everything that I'm thinking, the Bible says even everything he said in his bedchamber, In the privacy of his bedroom, God was revealing to the prophet Elisha. So the king said, we've got to take him out. We've got to get rid of him if we're going to be successful. So he gathered everybody together, a great and mighty host. And he surrounded the area of Dothan. He went to where Elisha was in the middle of the night, in the dead of the night, in the quiet, when nobody could hear what was happening. And he surrounded the prophet's area. No way in. And no way out. This was the end, by all intents and purposes, of the prophet Elisha. Now the next morning, the Bible says that the prophet Elisha was there in his camp. And in his camp dwelt several servants. Prophets in training is what they were. Uh, they, they studied under the prophet. They, they followed him, did everything he did. and They, 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 they were right at his side. The Bible says that the next morning as the king of Syria, as all his mighty horses and his men encamped round where the prophet Elisha was, that the servant of Elisha woke up early and he came out of his tent. And I want you to picture this with me. He he came out of his tent and he probably stretched a little bit and looked out on the pretty horizon of of Dothan. And as he looked out, he noticed something frightening. I can only imagine the shock, the instance of pure fear that he felt as he stepped out and looked and saw the vast army that had assembled in the middle of the night that had surrounded them, no way in and no way out. The servant looked out on the hills, and all he could see was horse after horse, chariot after chariot. He could, he could hear the sharpening of swords and spears, and he knew that if Elisha, if Elisha was the target, he knew that he was probably the target. Now, I'm not sure if he went and woke up Elisha. I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but in, in my imagination, this frantic prophet in training, the servant of Elisha, went running to the prophet himself. And as he approached Elisha, he walked out to see the prophet sitting calmly and having his cup of coffee in the morning. Now remember, there's a a vast army that has surrounded the camp. So the servant, in his fear and his anxiety, runs to the prophet, runs to find him, and he finds him calm, without fear. Here was this vast army ready to strike at any moment, and Elisha showed no signs of fear. He showed no worry or no stress. And the servant asked to Elisha, he said, My Lord, what shall we do? What shall we do? Have you ever asked somebody that? You ever got so stressed out, and you just you, you turned to your spouse, and you said, What are we going to do? you turn to your friend and you say, what are we going to do? Something goes wrong on the job. How are we going to fix this? That's what the servant of Elisha was saying. Look at all these, this army. Look at the, the, the people here that are clearly here to destroy us. What shall we do? Elisha calmly answered the young servant saying, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, this is a curious response to the problem. This is a curious response to the situation. Because the hills are filled with horses and chariots and weapons. There's no way in and no way out. And as the servant rightly is worried, the prophet's answer to this is to don't be scared. Don't be worried because they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, what sense did this make? This was a small encampment. of of a prophet and his servants. Yet he's saying there are more here on our side than what are on their side. As the army stood ready to charge the city in a moment's notice, and as the servant of the prophet stood there and began to cry out in fear at the sight of the army, Elisha then in this moment prayed a simple prayer. He said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Lord, I pray this this young servant here that you would open his eyes that he may see. As the enemy began to come down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord to strike the enemy with blindness. And as the Lord opened up that young prophet's and training's eyes, As he looked to the hills that were once full of chariots and and horses and swords and spears of the enemy, he saw hills full of horses and chariots of fire in a spiritual realm surrounding Elisha, surrounding the encampment there. It was a powerful sight to see something beyond what was in the natural, beyond just the problem at hand, beyond the enemy that was there, the tangible enemy that was there to destroy them. The prophet's eyes were opened and he he saw chariots of fire and an angelic host that was there to fight on their behalf. And God struck that mighty army with blindness and led them to the wrong destination. And they did not even attempt to attack Elisha and his servant. But they were so confused and they were so blinded and taken on the wrong direction. God had mercy on Elisha and his prophet. God had done something miraculous in that moment. The Lord had delivered Elisha and Israel from certain death in this powerful example of seeing beyond the circumstance. At times this morning, we find ourselves much like the young servant of Elisha. We're so bombarded by the obvious circumstances of life that our vision is blocked from seeing beyond that into the invisible world. Our problems and our fears become so big, and in turn, our faith becomes so very small. But we've got to pray this morning. I encourage us. We've got to pray that simple prayer, Lord, open our eyes that we may see. Now, I've used, I've used this example before, but it's much easier in life. It's just who we are. It's so easy to focus on the negative, right? It's so easy to focus on the negative things, the tangible things, the hill that surrounds us with trouble, with chariots and and horses and a host that intends to destroy us. It's so easy to focus on those things. It's much harder to believe. And and Let's use this example. If you got a call on the phone and it was sound like a radio voice and they said, You've won a million dollars, you'd laugh and hang up the phone. But the first bad report you get from the doctor, you're ready to go grab a backhoe, a shovel, and go out back and start digging your own grave. Because it's easy to believe those bad things, it's so easy to accept the bad news, the bad report, than it is to accept the good report. It's just how we are wired. It's just how we're built. We, we accept and believe the bad things before we can believe the good things. Even Jacob in the Old Testament, perfect example. He believed the evidence that was before him in the bloody, dampened coat of his son Joseph. Genesis 37, 31 through 33, Joseph was the preferred son of Jacob. Jacob loved Joseph. Jacob gave Joseph the the beautiful coat to show favor, the coat of many colors. He was the favor among all his brothers, but when his brothers plotted to kill him, they threw him in a ditch and sold him into slavery. They took his coat from him and dipped it in the blood of an animal. And the Bible says, and they took Joseph's coat, and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the, goat, the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or not. So they're saying, we've, we've, We found this coat. We don't know if this is Joseph's or not. Can you tell us, Dad? And the Bible says, And he knew it. Jacob knew it and said, It's my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Now, used to in Sunday school when we teach this lesson, I, you know, I used to think that the, the, the brothers told Jacob their plan. They said, you know, a, a beast has ripped your son apart. That's where the blood came from. But they never said a word. All they did was hand Jacob the coat, and he came to his own conclusion. Why? Because it was much easier to see the tangible evidence, to feel what was in front of him, than to see beyond it to he might still be here. There might still be hope. There might still be reason to smile and and, and to get up in the morning and to keep going and to have hope. But he couldn't do that because of the evidence that was before him. But if he could have only prayed, God, I, I know what's here in front of me. I know that it looks bad. I know that I'm holding his coat. I know that it's drenched in blood and and, and covered in devastation. But if you can somehow open my eyes to see beyond this coat before me, beyond this, this, this bloody cloth that's here, if you can open my eyes to see beyond the circumstance and the natural, then maybe I can push through. Maybe I'll have enough faith to take a step today. Maybe I'll have enough faith to pray another prayer. If I can just get beyond what's in front of me, it's like putting on uh, faith, this, this level of faith, being able to see beyond the circumstance, being able to see beyond the tangible in front of us, and praying that prayer, God, open our eyes, let me get past the, the depression, and, and let me get, get past the sickness and all this stuff, being able to pray this and get past that, it's almost like wearing glasses for the first time, I see some glasses wearers out there. Does anybody remember the first time you put on glasses? I remember I was I think in my in my twenties before I, I went and got checked and got glasses. And I could remember just living life without glasses and, and, and having no idea that I that, that I didn't see well. I just thought, you know, I don't know what I thought. I just was just going about life just normal. But I remember going in and going to the doctor and him going, hmm, yeah, you know, he's a little issue here. And I'm thinking, wow, I had no idea. To me, everything was normal until I put on a pair of glasses. And it was like watching a a high-def television set. The trees were greener. You walk a little different, too, because you feel like, you know, you feel like you're going to step off a a ledge or something, you know, get that sensation that you feel. That goes away after years and years of wearing them, but that initial feeling of being able to see for the first time. All of a sudden, the world looked different. All of a sudden, you could see and clearly, if our eyes can somehow be open to the supernatural, if we can pray that prayer of faith and we begin to see Jesus for who he is, it affects our outlook it affects our walk. The psalmist said, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I always like to think of that as like a a magnifying glass. You you take a magnifying glass and you take something that in the the moment was small, but when you magnify it, it gets larger and bigger. Our problems are real. Life situations are real, but when we begin to magnify God, when we begin to exalt him, he becomes so much bigger. He becomes so much greater than our problems and our circumstances. So if we can pray, God, let me see you for who you are. Let me understand how powerful you are, how you hold the world in your hands, how you're a healer and you're a deliverer. If we can begin to pray that in our life, then all of a sudden those problems that bogged us down those things that hindered us so much and prevented our worship and our prayer become so small and god becomes so big but we've got to pray that prayer god open our eyes that we can see you for who you are god open our eyes to see beyond our circumstance open our eyes to see beyond the depression the recession, and everything in our lives that's pulling us down, open our eyes to see you for who you are. You see, it was important for the prophet Elisha and his servant that day, that fateful day where they were facing certain death and destruction, it was important for them to stay focused on the hills, filled with the Lord's chariots of fire. If they lost sight of that, if they lost focus and they, they, they looked only to the trouble surrounding them, it would have affected their faith. It would have shaken the foundation of their faith and what the Lord was able to do. It was important that they stayed focused on the hills, that they kept their eyes to where their help was eventually going to come. And I'm getting ready to close this morning. I hope to encourage us to let that be our prayer. Say it with me. Lord, open our eyes that we may see. Open our eyes that we may see. It's very interesting to me what the prophet Elisha prayed. It's very interesting to me. He could have, in a moment, in an instant, called down fire and destruction on that entire army of the Syrians. Now, that's probably what I would have prayed. Is God just wipe them out and destroy them all. Who's with me? Anybody would have prayed that? Some people, that's all they pray when they get mad at somebody. God, do this to them and do that to them, you know? So it would have been easy to pray that prayer. But, but Elisha didn't pray the problem away. He didn't say, God destroy the problem. God rid my life of this problem. God rid my life of this. But he said, open his eyes that he may see what I see. You see, it's the the Bible talks about the the testing of our faith that works patience. The testing of our faith. It's the another translation says it's the trial, the trial of faith. Without trial, without question, without concern and and things that we go through, if we didn't have any of that, we wouldn't need faith. We wouldn't need faith in God. There would be no reason to have it. And you wouldn't have faith if you never went through anything. But it's the trial. It's the circumstance. It's the problems that we face that perfects our faith, that perfects our faith. And I believe Elisha understood that. There was a trial before him. There was trouble before him. But he had a level, a deep level of faith that he was able to see beyond it. He was able to see beyond it. And he was teaching that young servant. God open his eyes that he can see as I see. He can see as I see. If you'll stand with me this morning. Elisha didn't trust in his ability. He didn't trust his own foundation. And he didn't allow the enemy surrounding him to cause him to lose focus. And the Lord opened their eyes. we was work. Closing here this morning, I don't know what situation you're facing or what you're going through or what recently may have happened in your life that that's weighing on your mind and your shoulders what has brought you you down. But I want to encourage you this morning as you look at the hills, as you see the distress, the enemy that's surrounding you, if you can, in faith, pray the simple prayer, God, I know all I can see is the problem, the tangible problem in front of me. I know that's all I can see in the moment. But if you can somehow open my eyes to see. Lord, open my eyes to see beyond this to the hills from whence cometh my help. If you can help me to see the hills full of chariots of fire and angelic hosts and your spirit who stands ready to rescue me and to restore me, to heal me, to touch my heart and my mind, to bring peace to my situation, to bring comfort to me, if you can help me see beyond my circumstance and and see that you are ready to help me, God, I, I know that I can make it. I know that I can do it. And I'm here to tell you that God wants to rescue you here this morning. You may feel surrounded, you may feel down and out, you may feel upset and stressed out beyond what you've ever experienced, but God is wanting you to see beyond your circumstance. See beyond the problem that's in front of you. He wants to bring you peace. He wants to heal you and rescue you this morning. All we've got to do is say, God, open my eyes. Open my eyes, God, and help me see.